Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I hear a little feedback. Am I okay? I had been in ministry for 30 years. I was in Hoboken for 25 years, uh, spending my time with the Hoboken Evangelical Free Church. And uh, it was an interesting ministry. It was a small urban ministry. It was a small transient ministry. People came and went. They would be there one or two years, then they would transfer to all over the world, whether it was Hong Kong, London, India, California, Chicago, Florida. People would come and go as their careers went. So we used to joke and say we had a revolving door on the back of the church so people could just come and go. Anyway, it's good to be back with you. It's with you today. Good to have a chance to preach. Uh, I don't preach too often these days. I, uh, and I, since I retired, I got a little bit bored, so I opened a business. I own my own travel agency. I help people find trips, whether it be cruises or land trips. Uh, I particularly like working with churches who want to do Israel trips. I spent 30 years in ministry. As I said, I spent 30 years in ministry, and I did not get to Israel until after I retired. And it's my belief now that every pastor should get to Israel while they're in seminary because it can have a major effect on their preaching and on their sermons. So I want you to help me feel comfortable this morning. Something I did with my congregation every single week is I would use the phrase, and I'm sure you're aware of it, I'm sure you know it, it's God is good all the time. Indeed, he is. Thank you. That helps me feel very, very comfortable with you. If you'll open your Bibles, if you have them, or the Pew Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen, we're going to be looking at Psalm 121 this morning. Psalm 121. And it reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's ask his blessing on his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, for this wonderful psalm of assurance and care. We thank you, Lord, for your watching over us and your being with us to worship this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our minds, our hearts, our very beings to you and to what you would have for us this day. For we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Most of us have taken a vacation or done some traveling over time. We plan, we book, we schedule, we map, we go to AAA maybe for guidebooks and for triptychs. Uh, we program our GPSs, we use a, map, uh, a mapping app on our smartphones nowadays. We prepare. We get ready. When I was a kid, my family traveled a lot. It was all road trips. We went all over the country. My dad was, was into, let's, let's see the United States. Let's see all it has to offer, whether it's Florida, California, the Midwest. We were going to take a trip every single year. And from when I was a little kid, he made me the navigator. So I would get the maps, and I would get the trip ticks, and I would get the books, and I would plan the entire trip with him, and then I would help him along the way. Or supposedly I thought I was helping him. He knew what he was doing. 
I now do this not only for my own family, but for others. As I said, I'm a travel business, so I help people plan. And generally, people know where they want to go, how long it's going to take to get there, and what they're going to do when they get there. And in Bible times, the people who would be reading this psalm or reciting this psalm would know that they were heading up to Jerusalem, but they didn't know the particulars, what they were going to run into on the way and how the trip was going to proceed for them. Most certainly there was some planning, but nothing in their travels was a certainty at all. And so we come to today's psalm, which is a psalm of ascents. It's often called the Traveler's Psalm, which is why I chose it. Psalm 121 is the second song of a series called the, called the Song of Ascents that begin in the last chapter, of, which is Psalm 120, and goes to Psalm 134. There are 15 such songs. Four of them, Psalm 122, Psalm 124, Psalm 131, and Psalm 133 are linked to David. And one of them, 127, is linked to Solomon. Many scholars believe that these psalms were sung by worshipers when they traveled, when they were heading from wherever they were in Israel up to Jerusalem to worship for the festivals, the four festivals, the three pilgrim festivals that we find in Deuteronomy. Or they were songs that the priests would sing as they ascended 15 steps, remember 15 psalms, 15 steps to minister in the temple of Jerusalem. Psalm of Ascent. And now Jerusalem was always considered higher altitude than any other part of Israel. Even if it was lower, they were ascending. Jerusalem was a special place. These psalms are characterized by several things. First of all, they're characterized by their brevity. Only with Psalm 132 in the Psalm of Ascent is longer than 10 verses. They're uh, characterized by a key word. If you look at Psalm today, Psalm 121, the key word you'll find is keep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. And they're also characterized by repetition. Again, the word keep over and over again. More than half of these Psalms of Ascension are cheerful, and all of them are hopeful. Some suggested that David might be the author of Psalm 121. Others attributed to an unknown traveler. Some say it belonged to a soldier, a mariner, or a captive Levite. But whoever penned it, it was a psalm that the Israelites would often sing, probably over and over and over and over again, as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, the nation of Israel is small. It's actually the size of New Jersey. Now, in biblical times, the roads were narrow, and there were dirt trails that went through hills and valleys. And if you were to go to Israel today, there are sections that you can go to, particularly in the area of Galilee, where you can walk on what's called the Gospel Trail. The Gospel Trail is a path through the woods, through the hills, through the trees, and more than likely, it is a road that Jesus and his disciples had walked on. I remember when we were over it, over there, it just came to mind the hymn, I walked the day where Jesus walked. But those were not easy roads to get over. They were not uh, simple like the roads we have today. They were not high-speed interstate roads at all. And Jericho is 17 miles. If the people were traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, they were traveling a 17-mile trip that would take several days And even though it's 17 miles today, it still takes an hour and a half because of the way the roads have to go around the hills, even with the high-speed roads that they have there. 
Now, Israel today has very modern highways, and in many ways, Israel is more modern than we are. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me when I was in, in Israel was the, what was called the zipper. Now, you know what a Jersey barrier is, right? Big piece of concrete down the center of the road that divides the highway. In Israel, they have what's called the zipper. It looks like a Jersey barrier, but it has little links like a, like a zipper would have in a shirt or a sweater. And there are five lanes on their major highways. Three go one direction, two go the other. And at the change of rush hour, a special machine runs down that zipper and moves that whole concrete barrier one lane over so that the traffic going in the other direction at the next rush hour can get through quicker and have that extra lane. It really is amazing to see them put that to work. But they didn't have that in Bible times. They didn't have that when this psalm was written. And the people still wanted to feel the safety and protection that we want to feel when we travel today. So they would sing this song as a reminder of God's presence, as, an assur- as something for assurance and knowing of God's care. So I want to read it again because it's an important psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm was written to remind God's people of how he protects them in times of danger, how he watches over them. And these psalms of ascent are written in a step fashion. Psalm 120 begins the journey in a distant land in a hostile situation. Psalm which we're reading today covers the journey and Psalm 122 if you look at the first two verses where it says I was glad when they said to me let us go to the house of the Lord our feet have been standing within your gates of Jerusalem they've reached their destination and they're getting ready to go in to worship so the Psalms move along in a progression in the Psalms of Ascents Now, the traveler in this psalm is not traveling alone. He has a companion, and we can see that in the fact that the psalm changes pronouns. In verses 1 and 2, we see the words of the traveler, while in the rest of the psalm, we see the pronouns change to you and your as the companion answers the pilgrim, telling him of God's companionship. As we look at this psalm this morning, I want you to reflect on your own spiritual journey, on on, on your own travel with God. Where are you in your walk with God? Are you a new believer? Are you someone who maybe is less than a year in the Lord and really excited and really full of energy and really looking forward but wanting to grow more and wanting to know more? Are you a young believer? Maybe you've been in the Lord four or five years, somewhat settled, uh, sort of getting into a plateau and you're hoping to want to grow more too. You want more. Maybe you're a mature believer. Maybe you've been with the Lord a long time. Maybe you do daily have devotions, you read God's Word, you pray, you've been walking with Him, you're confident in your faith with God. But you're still on your journey. And you're walking in faith. And you still want God's closeness, no matter where you are. No matter where you are, whether you're a new believer, a young believer, a mature believer. You're going to ask questions. 
You're going to say, where am I going? What does God want from me? And the one that I like the best, why can't I be in control? God says, I'm in control. And even if there is no doubt or when there is no doubt, we all follow problems of our pilgrimage in reaching heaven. We're running a race. We're moving towards a goal. Or sometimes we have a problem or a question of saying, just getting through the week. Lord, what can I do? This is going to be a rough week ahead. Help me get through it. I need your assurance. I need your help. I need your guidance. And when these times come, this psalm can be particularly helpful, not so much in answering specific directional questions, but in providing that God is in control because of who he is and that we have a personal relationship with him and that he cares about us and that he is going to be with us throughout our journey in this life. So let's use this psalm today to strengthen our assurance of God's presence and see who God is what God does for us. First thing we notice in verses 1 and 2 is He is the God of creation. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Some have looked at this and asked the question, should I look to the mountains for help? Of course not. The Canaanites and other pagan cultures of the time also did do that. They looked up. They looked up toward the hills. They looked up to the mountains. They looked up high for their spiritual strength. But verse 1 is a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. You don't look to the hills for your help because your help comes from the Lord. Not the hills because they are creation. We don't worship creation. We worship the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I've seen many mountains in my lifetime, from the Poconos in the Pennsylvania to the mountains in New Hampshire. I've been up Mount Washington. I've been to Colorado. I've been in Alaska and Washington State. I've seen some close up, and I've seen some while I've been flying. I've seen the Rockies, the Cascades, the Alps. All are beautiful. All are majestic. They take your breath away. They're incredible. But I tell you what, none of them offer help. None of them can offer help. As a matter of fact, if you look at them closely, they offer more danger than they do help. You can get lost. You can get hurt. You can get worse. A few weeks ago, my wife and I took a trip to Alaska. At one point of our trip, we were at the Alaska Ski Resort just outside of Anchorage. They have really high ski slopes and mountains there. We took a gondola up to the top and had this view of seven glaciers. It was absolutely stunning and amazing. But as we did that, the guide said to us, if you come here and if you decide to go skiing off on one of those distant trails or go hiking in this direction, before you go, you need to stop at the main desk and you need to pull out your credit card and you need to leave your credit card with the rescue company. You're going to pay in advance for a helicopter to come and get you. Now, if you make it back safely, we'll credit your account. Our help doesn't come from the hills, people. (laughs) Our help comes from the Lord, who is the creator. Now, man thinks he's pretty good. Man thinks he's pretty good at making things, and he's made many wonderful things. I mean, mankind has made an incredible progress in life. You can find a, a mighty aircraft carrier, which is an airport that sails on the seas. A submarine that sails under the seas. You can find great aircraft to fly above. 
Okay, how's that? I'm good for that. Yeah. He can build highways from one end of the country to the other with bridges spanning ever, every river and valley. They can build an automobile that can speed down the highway at 120 miles an hour or even more. Uh, unless that driver is from New York coming down the Garden State Parkway to the shore, <laughs> then they speed down the highway at 45 or 50 miles per hour in the left lane. I have seen that so many times. And soon we're even going to have self-driving cars, and I don't know why anybody wants those. Where's the fun in that? I don't even use my cruise control. I like to drive when I drive. Man builds humongous cruise ships that are cities unto themselves that somehow float. I was just noticing Norwegian Cruise Line just came out with a ship that's going to have a go-kart track on the back of it. We were on a ship last year that had bumper cars, a trapeze school, a surfing simulator, a rock wall, and a skydiving simulator. It was absolutely amazing what man can dream up and what man can build. Airplanes that squeeze more and more people on board yet somehow stay in the air and fly great distances at incredible speeds. Uh, I was never a fan of airplanes. I did not like flying. I still don't like flying. My picture of an airplane is that of a toothpaste tube with wings where they take off the cap and squeeze everybody in, and eventually they squeeze everybody out. But I do fly. Uh, I'm not thrilled by it, but I do. And man has created jets, and I just read the other day that uh, Airbus is coming out with a new jet that will do away with jet lag. So hopefully that'll work, you know. Man can build a radio which can reach 5,000 miles into the air, pick out voices from satellites, send them around the world. I remember the first time I had a transistor radio. I couldn't believe it. He builds telephones, which we can talk 10,000 miles away without wires. I grew up with party lines. You know what a party line is? You'd pick up the phone and somebody else in your neighborhood would still be on the phone with you. And it was attached to the wall. My iPhone today has more computing power than the Apollo spacecraft. The Internet is absolutely amazing, and we have learned to take it for granted. I have a little thing on my desk in my office called uh, the Echo Dot by Amazon. and has somebody in it named Alexa. And I can ask Alexa almost any question, and I get an instant answer, and I find that absolutely amazing. I get up in the morning, and I say, Alexa, give me my news brief and all my headlines are given to me right there and then. I ask Alexa, how did the Mets do today, knowing that they already lost? And she tells me that they lost. It's amazing. Man can build many wonderful things, but all that he builds and dreams up, he must use God's pre-existing materials. When God created the world, he made it out of absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And according to John, we read, all things were made by God, and without him, nothing was made. We can do nothing without God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And yet, as we talk about mountains, I still remember the very first time we traveled out west. We were just out of college, and I was driving to, we were driving to Denver Seminary. And as we were driving... On the road, we drove through Kansas. Now, Kansas, I believe, formed on the day God rested. <laughs> There's nothing in Kansas. 
miles and miles of nothing and, they, and oil wells. And so as we're driving through Kansas and get into eastern Colorado, suddenly you see in, see in front of you the Rocky Mountains. First you see little snow caps. Then as you get closer, you see how big, and you see the majesty of those mountains. And I just praise him for the beauty of those mountains. When we went to the Tetons, in Grand Teton National Park, when you enter the park, you see the wonderful mountains, but you also see a chapel. There's, there's, a, there's a chapel there. And it was early settlers had built that chapel. I believe it's an Episcopal chapel. And the chapel is aimed so it faces the mountains. Not so you're looking at the mountains to get your help, but you're looking at the mountains to say, look what God could do. Look what God could create. Do you remember back in 2010, the Chilean miners who got stuck down in that mine and had to be rescued? They were there for about 62 days, about a half mile underground. There was a report that was written of some of them emerging looking healthier than expected. Some of them even came out clean shaven. And at least one, his name was Mario Sepulveda, the second one to come up, bounded up out of that mine where he had been trapped. And he said, I think I had extraordinary luck. I was with God, and I was with the devil, and I reached out for God. And as he said that, he put his fist in the air. I reached out for God. What does it take for you to reach out for God? Our creator, the one who keeps us, the one who watches over us. What does it take for you to say, God, I need your help? Is it something that you do daily when you get up? Or is it something you do only when an emergency comes and says, God, I need your help? He is an amazing God. And believing that he is creator gives our travelers who are reciting this psalm assurance of his care. Assurance that they'll have his daily, their daily breath, just as we are assured every morning. We wake up with our daily breath. God is with us. Assurance of our daily provision. Don't have to worry. Will God provide? He will. Assurance of his protection. He will take care of you. Assurance that he can meet our need. Whatever that need may be. And notice I said need. I didn't say want. And the pilgrim of Psalm 121 can say confidently, and we can say confidently in any situation, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And if he can create and make the wonderful world that we are in, he can do whatever is necessary to take care of us. So first we find in this psalm that he is the creator. Secondly, in this psalm we find that he is the God of all circumstances. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He will not let your foot slip. Picture a journey over mountain trails, climbing rocks, not always easy, sometimes treacherous, yet God gets the pilgrims through. When I was a kid, I go back to my childhood a lot, I was a Boy Scout. And we used to take a lot of hikes. But there was one that was quite memorable. That hike was a hike along the Palisades Interstate Park. Now, the Boy Scout camp was in Alpine, New York, and you would walk underneath the, the Interstate Parkway along the side, and then you would take this staircase down to the bottom of the cliffs. And the scout leaders thought it would be a great idea to go down that trail. 
Well, that trail in and of itself was named the Devil's Staircase for a reason. And our scout leaders had no idea what they were in for. Most of the steps were eroded away. It was one of the hardest climbs we've ever had. And when we got to the bottom, they breathed a sigh of relief because no one stumbled and no one fell. I believe God was with us. The wording here in this psalm is more of a sense of a prayer request, and it reads really better. May he not let your foot slip, with the answer being then, he who watches neither slumbers nor sleep. Unlike Baal, who Elijah accused of sleeping, God is constantly in control. God is constantly awake. God is constantly caring. God is constantly watching. God is constantly protecting. And nothing happens without him noticing. Now, my kids would probably tell you that I was an overprotective parent. I have three boys, by the way. I have all grown boys. Uh, One's in Connecticut. He's an elementary school teacher. Another's a math teacher in Central Jersey. He teaches advanced calculus. God bless him. (laughs) God bless him. And then my third son, he just is out of college, and he is an auditor for a Marriott hotel in Jersey City. But this is my first son. My first son, Joshua, my oldest, when he was in kindergarten, he would take a van every day. It was about three or four miles from one end of Jersey City to the other end of Jersey City where we live. And he would take that van, I'd drop him off, and then I'd go to work. And then in the afternoon when school ended, he would get on another van, drive three and a half miles back to a different school for an after-school program. Now, when the after-school program came around, me being the overprotective parent that I was, wanted to make sure he got there safely. So I knew what time his van was going, what time it was coming. So what I did is I would leave work early, and then I would go down, and I would park on the street by the school, and I would hide behind a telephone pole. (laughs) Yeah, this is before the days of helicopter parents. And I would just watch, and when that van would come, And he would get out and hop out, very happy with his whole day, had a wonderful time, always smiling. Hop into that school, I'd get back into my car, go home and finish my work for the day from home. I was watching. I was thinking that I was protecting, whereas I was just basically being paranoid. (laughs) But God is always watching. The person speaking to our pilgrim says that he will have divine protection, that God will not be indifferent, that he's not going to let you slip, that he's not going to slumber. He's always going to be there for you. And he has a history, a long history, of watching over the people of Israel and making sure their circumstances are circumstances of safety. Think back for a moment on your own journey, your own walk with God. Think about are there specific times that you can think that God took care of you? Are there specific times that you can think that God was just guiding your circumstances? You had choices to make, and you didn't know which to make, and so you made this decision. You know what? God was guiding you into that decision. And when you look back and see, hey, yeah, God was there. God was leading. God was doing this. You can then say, he'll continue to do that. He's done it for me in the past. He'll continue to be with me. God is the God of all circumstances. Thirdly, this passage teaches us that God is a God of protection and care. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life 
Now, you'll, you'll see different words used in different translations. The Lord will protect you. The Lord will guard you. They all use the word keep. They all mean the same thing. He is the God of protection and care. We have become, in this day and age, when I read this passage and think about it, the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. We have become sun worshipers. We love the sun. We are down at the Jersey Shore. We go to the beach. We sit on the sand and hopefully we slather sun tan lotion on us, sunscreen. But we love the sun. We're people who want to be out in the sun. But people living in an arid and dry climate or people traveling a long way by foot without any air-conditioned transportation, the sun becomes the enemy. It burns the skin. It parches the throat. In Israel, there were no 7-Eleven or the Wawa's along the way. It dries up wells and reservoirs. There is a hotel just off the Dead Sea. About a mile and a half from the Dead Sea, there is a Holiday Inn in Israel. It is totally abandoned and totally not used. Now, remember, I said it's a mile and a half away from the Dead Sea. Ten years ago, it was waterfront property on the Dead Sea. That's the danger of the sun. The sun can parch. The sun can evaporate. And it became very hot for these people walking during the day. It was a very dry land and difficult for travelers who didn't have bottled water like we have today. The sun makes midday work unbearable. The sun produces skin cancer. And yet we're told here that the Lord is your shade, saying that he'll protect you, that he'll care for you. But similarly, the moon and the night were also seen as evil because as hot as it could be in the daytime when the sun went down and the moon was out, it got drastically cold for these travelers. It was dark. There were no street lights, no lights of any kind other than the moon and the stars. Now, I'm sure most of you this week, week watched reports of the eclipse and saw towns across the country on the news go from light to complete darkness in an instant. I heard one reporter on ABC saying that this is very spooky, very unusual. So you see, nighttime in Israel's days was the time when thieves came out. It was the time when animals searched for prey. It could get very dangerous, yet the pilgrim assures the people here, the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God's protection will be with you. I read a story about an executive executive was getting ready for a month-long business trip. And when everyone on trip, he sat down, he prayed with his wife and with his family. And so this time he sat down, he prayed with his wife before departing. He said, Lord, please protect Sharon and the kids while I'm gone. Amen. His wife looked up at him when he finished and said, who do you think protects us when you're here? Yeah. God is always watching over us, always protecting us. The question to us then becomes, what are we afraid of on our journey? What scares us? What digs at our hearts? What digs at our being? What slows us down on our pilgrimage of faith? Is it the fear of illness? Is it the fear of violence? The fear of war? Is it the fear of dying 
When I was in seminary, Dr. Vernon Grounds, president of Denver Seminary, would get up. And he would tell us he was 100% certain not afraid of death under any circumstances because he knew he belonged to the Lord. We all with that, right? You can all say we belong to the Lord. But he said, I am scared to death as to how I'm going to die. What are you afraid of? Are you concerned about your daily provision? Will God protect? Will he provide? Are you concerned about loss of relationships with people? Give it to God. He wants to take care of it for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him. Why? He cares for you. The God of Israel is the guardian of every believer. He, he keeps, he protects, he guards, he blesses his own. He's a God of protection and care. Fourth, what we find in this passage is that he is the God of eternity. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and evermore. For the believer, that means God watches over all of life, now and in the future, just as he has in the past, the present, and what's coming up. To be kept from all evil in this passage doesn't imply a cushioned life at all. It implies a well-armored one. Trouble will come. The Bible makes that clear. In this world, you will have tribulation. The question is, are you prepared? God has provided the armor, but you must put it on daily before an attack. Ephesians 6, verses 13 to 17. It reads, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes from your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, a shield or a helmet are totally useless if you don't put them on. I see people all the time riding their bikes without their helmets. I used to tell people when they would come in for counseling, are you prepared? Have you asked God to protect you? Have you put on the armor? And sometimes I would ask them to physically pray each morning and put on that arm. I'd say, think about putting on the helmet. Think about putting on the belt. Think about putting on the sandals. Think about putting on the shield and carrying that with you so that you're ready for the day. So what does it mean then when we do get hurt? Because we do. We live in a world that's fallen. Sometimes it's a natural consequence of our own behavior. Someone once asked a, a, a guest speaker at a church conference, they said, can you still smoke and go to heaven? And the speaker answered, of course you can. You might even get there quicker. Sometimes God protects us even when we make our own dumb decisions. Someone once said that guardian angels, their guardian angels must have ulcers. Yet there are times when we seem to be doing most things right, reading God's word, praying, spending the day with him, and yet bad things happen. We live in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean God has lost interest in us. He hasn't departed or deserted us. He hasn't forgotten us. He isn't sleeping. As we said at the beginning of the service, and you repeat it after me, God is good all the time. It's his nature. He is good all 
all the time. He has a purpose in all things. And though often we're unable to grasp the reasons, we may stumble a bit along the way, but those who walk with God always reach their final destination. They always reach the end of the race. And in this passage, going out and coming in encompasses everything we do, every action we do, whatever it is, wherever it is, whenever it is, your life, your work, it all matters to God. He is your ultimate boss. You are working for him day by day, moment by moment. Whether you're white collar, blue collar, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're unemployed, whether you're retired, what you do matters to God. And his word tells us to make the most of the time. Whether you're in the car, on a train, on a bus, whether you're asleep at night, God is awake and in control. And verse 8 promises that he always will be. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He is the God of eternity. And we can be assured and not worry. So where do you look when you need help for guidance? Who do you turn to? you go to prayer first or is it last resort? Make it your first choice. One day a man took his son, his little boy, up to the top. We started out talking a mountain, so he took his boy up to the top of a high hill, and he pointed in every direction. I've got to tell you, I am totally lost in this building. Which is north, which is south? Anyway, he pointed north, south, east, west. North, south, east, west. He pointed all those directions. And he said to his son, God's love is as big as all of this. And the little boy looked at his dad and said, Just think, Dad, we're right in the middle of it all. Oh, yeah. God is a great God. His love is a great love. And yes, you and I, right here, right now, right this day, are in the middle of it all. In the pilgrimage of faith, as much as I'd like to be, I don't need to be in control. Because I know God is in control and he has plans for me. The people ascending to Jerusalem knew that. They sang it. They repeated it. They assured themselves of God's blessing and God's care for them. So today, no matter where you are on your journey, are you a new believer? A young believer? A mature believer? Or maybe today you're here asking that question and saying, hey, I don't know where I am. I, I, I'm not on the journey yet. Well, if you're not on the journey yet, I'm sure there are a number of people here who you can talk with, meet with, share, and ask, how do I get on that journey? How do I become part of God's kingdom? How do I become part of God's family? How do I get to know Jesus? And I'm sure someone here, and I don't know everyone here, this is my first time here, so I'll say the worship team, the people that were up here, the people working in the back, uh, would all be willing to talk with you about that this morning. So whether you're a new believer, young believer, mature believer, or looking to become a believer, you can be sure because our God is the God of creation, the God of circumstances, the God of protection, the God of eternity. He cares about you every step along the way. And we can say, my help comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the assurance of your word, for the truth of your word, for the power of your word, that we can know that you are always with us, that you are always guiding, you are always protecting, you are always leading, you are always there. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that no matter what comes up this day or this week, that we can turn to you 
and know you are with us and have our best interest at heart. Thank you for this wonderful psalm of assurance, this psalm of ascents. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.